Today's first reading is on page 1043 of the Pew Bibles. We will read Luke chapter 11, verses 28 through 32. He replied, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. As the crowds increased, Jesus said, This is a wicked generation. It asks for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah was a sign to the Ninevites, so also will the Son of Man be to this generation. The Queen of the South will rise at the judgment with the people of this generation and condemn them, for she came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom, and now something greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and now something greater than Jonah is here. This is the word of the Lord. Today's sermon reading is on page 929 of your Bible, and we will read Jonah chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tar Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, Is it right for you to be angry? Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm, which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said, and I'm so angry I wish I were dead. But the Lord said, You have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals? This is the word of the Lord. Just before we begin the sermon today, you probably all realize and remember that uh, this week we had a memorial or celebration of life service for Peter Heavy. And um, Pearl's brother is here and would just like to give a, uh, a word, so I'd like him to come at this time. My name is Lawrence and uh, I'm the older brother Hell. Uh, I've been nominated uh, by the families to uh, give a vote of thanks. Um, Pearl and Peter's children 
Heavy and Ire families are grateful for your presence, presence and support that made the burial and memorial, memorial service to our beloved husband, father, brother, and rock a little bearable. Thank you very much for your warmth and genuine show of love. We are most grateful and God richly bless you. Thank you. Thank you very much for sharing with us and um, all of us who were able to attend that memorial service. Um, it was a very special time and we appreciate it, but to please be in prayer for that family. As well, many of you know that Helen passed also this week and uh, there will be for her in uh, probably the 2nd of June, but please check with us. We're just still needing to check regarding availability of this, but at the moment we're planning for the 2nd of June in the afternoon. The office will give you later uh, dates and updates on exactly that. But I'd also like then to welcome each one of you who are able, who've been able to come here this morning, and actually midday, and we also want to welcome those of you who are joining us on Zoom and, of course, encourage you, if you are able in the future, to be able to come and join us in person. We love that. And for all of you who have not met my lovely wife or myself, she's lovely, I'm just me, but if you wanted to meet the better half, she's up here, and uh, we would love to just get to know you and... Uh, be able to associate your name with your person and get to know a couple things about you so we can also pray for you more effectively. So don't hesitate to come and introduce yourself. And those of you who've been visiting on Zoom, it's a great joy. Almost every week someone comes up and says we were visiting on Zoom and now we're here. So we appreciate that very much. Today uh, we want to continue with and actually finish our sermon series from the book of Jonah, this Old Testament book which is only four chapters. And as we have been going through the book of Jonah, one of the things that we have wanted to emphasize to all of us is that God's Bible is a source and a key source of the way God reveals himself or the way God introduces himself to us. It not only has his names and he declares who he is, but it also gives us the record of how God has worked in the lives of many different men and women throughout the Old Testament. And then in the New Testament, of course, it reveals to us God coming in the flesh, God in the person of Jesus Christ, the Son of God who has come. So we learn a lot about God as we study in the Bible. And as we have studied the book of Jonah, there are many things about God here as well. Of course, you remember chapter 1 as we looked through it, I mentioned and we looked at the fact that the main word which, which reappears again and again in chapter 1 is actually a name for God in English, particularly in the more recent translations. 
It is usually spelled all in capital letters, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. In that manner, the translator is informing us that it is a special Hebrew name for God, Yahweh, or meaning the personal God. And in chapter 1, Jonah has, is being introduced to a God who's personal, but also a personal God who has a personal will, plan, and desire for Jonah's life. And of course, you remember, just like Chris reminded us of last week, Jonah understood God, but chose to do something different. Is that right, Chris? Yeah, okay. And uh, I am so excited about that, actually. When we leave here, whenever God does that, I, I wonder how many months people will come up and go, and this means this. Um, that'll be a great tribute. But chapter 1 tells us about God who is personal. If you're here today and you do not know a God who is personal, a God who really comes into your life, time, and space, introduces himself and makes himself known in such a way there is no mistaking that it is God. I want just to assure you that that is the God of the Bible who will do that. He will speak to us in such a manner which we understand. And certainly uh, Noah came into that, excuse me, Noah, I meant Jonah came into that understanding as God came and pursued him. And even the men of the sailors on the ship as they saw God produce this incredible storm. And then God, uh, Jonah was selected among all the people as he was the reason God in his providence had sent the storm and they as sailors trying to row and throw overboard the luggage and the, the things they were taking to save this man's life and then suddenly when there was no other choice they put him overboard and immediately the storm stopped. And for those men who up to that point had not known the God of the Bible all of a sudden there was an irreconcilable happening where God did something that was only possible by God. And so it says they worshipped him. They sacrificed. And they made promises to this personal, real God. And of course chapter 2 is, records Jonah as he is overboard and as he is sinking to the bottom... And at that moment when it seems as if life is passing from him, there's this moment which he says, and then Lord, you rescued me. And so he is captured and he realizes he's still alive. And there are verses filled with prayer that come from his heart. And he says, oh God, as I pray, I know you hear me. And oh God, you're answering me. He realizes God has not finished with him yet. He's alive. And then, of course, he uses that term for God, hesed, which means God is good. Loving kindness is often translated, meaning God is love, but the reason he loves us is not simply because he is love and because his character is love. It means he loves us because he wants to. Have you ever thought about that? God loves you because he wants to love you. 
Well, it's such an amazing truth. And then chapter 3 is all about second chances. After the great fish deposits him on the shore, God comes to him, it says, the second time. And we were thinking, and as you read through that, of course, for me, the important thing is, is that God is a God who gives second chances. And um, he is asked to go. He's asked to preach the same message. And he, and he does. And as there's an amazing verse, as it says, as Jonah preached, people believed God. That moment when God the Spirit, God the Holy Spirit came into their time and space. And as they heard this man who had come from Jerusalem, this prophet preaching, saying, in 40 days your city will be overthrown. Not an easy subject. Actually a judgment message. And yet they not only heard the words, they believed the words were not only from the man, but from God himself. And all of us who have come to believe in the truth of Jesus Christ realize it's not just something that is an intellectual process. It is more than the cognitive. Although it is logical and makes sense, there is this moment when God the Spirit comes and shows us that this truth is true. And we believe. And we trust Him. And so too we find then as these, this message came and the people repented and they had fasting, they had sackcloth, they cried out to God. And then of course the main meaning of the word to repent, it says, and then they turned, so they were going this way, doing these things, they let go of them, it says they dropped them from their hands and they turned from where they were going and they followed God. True repentance will always include we are going away from God, we are doing whatever we want to do, and there is this moment when we stop that movement and we consciously move it towards God. And then God, seeing their repentance, says he relented or he had compassion and he did not do the judgment which he had said. Now, that brings us to chapter 4. But this, it says, displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And if you look up in the lexicon, the word angry, it meant he was really mad, angry, hot. And think about that. Here's a man giving a prophet's prophecy. He's preaching. And actually, as we get to the last verse of this chapter, it will tell us that 120,000 people repented. Now, most preachers will be quite excited. Not angry, but it begins. You see, as you read chapter 4, and I want to thank many of you who have responded to me. I, I always find Jonah chapter 4 a bit of a frustration. The book could have ended so well with chapter 3. If you just took chapter 4, verse 11 and moved it to the end of chapter 3, he preached, they hear God, God sees their repenting in 120,000 and close the book. But it doesn't. As God inspired this book to be written, he includes chapter 4. 
And I have written or have, or have spoken with many of you over a cup of coffee or sometime and just ask you what you thought about Jonah chapter 4. Thank you, each one who's replied. Great ideas that you had, and you'll probably hear some of those today in some form. Because chapter 4 is just unique. But look, it begins with anger. Now, one of the things we do find in chapter 4 is this word anger is going to appear several times. And what is going to happen is we're going to have to look not only at being angry, but why one is angry. And then look with me in verses 2 and 3. It says, being angry, he prayed to the Lord and he said, now listen to this prayer. I do not believe there is another prayer in all the Bible which would be somewhat similar. Listen to the prayer. O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country that I, is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish for I know that you are... What word reappears in the first half of his prayer again and again and again? I. Now he's angry, but his anger is coming towards God. In the last half of the prayer, he's going to actually blame the goodness of God. God, if you weren't merciful, God, if you weren't a God of grace, God, if you didn't have compassion, God, if you were not a God of loving kindness, I wouldn't be angry. He said, man, only a... Jonah could pray like that. How many times have I ever said, oh God, that's not fair. That's not right. And there have been some moments walking under the trees in our backyard. God, zap them! And then repentance. But it's no different than in 2022, is it? You see, in this portion is going to be a very interesting way that God moves with Jonah to make Jonah identify what is happening in his own heart. And in that process, you are going to see God begin to ask him questions. Look at this. Well, he says, before you leave the prayer, he says, and I knew that God. And that's why I, instead of obeying, he doesn't say obey, he says, that's why I ran to Tarshish. Isn't that amazing? The reason he didn't obey was God. You ever watch when you, well, I was a kid so much before most of you. There was this one TV program that we watched when our family first got a TV set. We lived in kind of a rural area. Didn't have electricity till I was in first grade. Never had water. But we had a TV set. And there was this one, I remember the person coming and said, but the devil made me do it. And here Jonah is saying, God, it's your fault. And that's why I didn't obey, which I don't know how that would go, but I somehow think when he stood before God at the end of time, that excuse would not be so viable. But then, look what God does. In the goodness and grace of God, he does not condemn him. But look what he says as he says, Oh, therefore, Lord, please take my life. And look what it says in that end of verse 4. 
or it is, yes. He says to him, do you do well or are you doing the right thing to be angry? Are you doing what is right? You see, God does not come up and say, okay, that's wrong. But he comes to Jonah and asks him a question. And to answer that question, Jonah must look deep inside of his own heart, looking not only at what he has done, but the very motivation, the very reason why he has done it. Often throughout the Bible, God in answering or God in speaking with people asks a question. And as we go through the question, we will end up finding the answer. Like, remember, a few weeks ago, we used as an illustration when people came to Jesus and said, by what authority do you do these things? And Jesus, rather than just saying, well, I am the Son of God, he said, let me ask you a question, and that will answer yours when you tell me the answer. And he said, the ministry or the baptism of John the Baptist, is that from heaven or is that from man? And the scribes and Pharisees knew that they said, if we say it's from heaven, which everyone believes, then they're all going to say, well, why are not you his disciples? And if we say we believe it is from men, they're probably going to stone us because they know it's from God. You see, there are moments in our journey with God when our relationship with God moves from God saying, now go and do this, to God coming and starting a conversation where in our minds, our hearts, the very depth of our soul, God begins to ask questions. And those questions are amazing. It's like in the book of Isaiah, where God says to his people, come, let us Reason, let us think together. For though your sins are red like scarlet, they will become white as snow. This concept where God wants to come and interact with us by asking us a question. And he does that with Jonah. And the first question, Jonah doesn't answer, but he answers it by action. It says he went outside the city, sat up, uh, sat on the eastern side of the city. He made a, a shelter for himself, and he sat in it. Have you ever had God speak? And rather than answering, you simply started to run? This is what Jonah did. He moved out, built it, and waited for God to act. So we go through it into the next verses as we look at it. And then I would just like to point out to you, though, because it's so important, the book of Jonah has consistently used the word Yahweh, or Lord in capitals, as it is explained or introduced a personal God to us, even here in the Old Testament. Now look what it does in verse 6. And actually, of course, in Hebrew, it has 11 verses. And in Hebrew, the concept of writing is you always put the most important thing in the very middle. And sometimes verse 1 and verse 11 or verse, they will kind of match but they will build to the middle. This is verse 6, the middle of chapter 4. It contains in that sense the most important message of the chapter. Look what it does. It says there, now the Lord capitals, God appointed a plan. 
And all of a sudden, what the, has happened as this word of God has been inspired is the name of the personal God has been joined together with the plural name Elohim of God Almighty, the Creator. But it's the we concept of God. Let us make man in our image. That's not Queen's English being polite. That is meaning God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. And so now we have the personal God and the Trinity being introduced in Jonah together. And then it goes, as we read further, and says, so then God prepared this Father, this Son, this God, the Spirit. They begin to move in Jonah's life. And they prepare a, a plant, and that plant miraculously grows in a matter of, of just a short time, covers him up in one evening, and he sits back and says, and Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. In other words, I said no to God, I was angry with God, and I moved outside the city, and the blessing of God has come. But then that same God prepared a worm. And the very next evening, the worm, it says, bores into the plant, and the plant dies, and then God is not finished with Jonah. You see, Jonah moved out to that side of the city to wait to see the judgment of God. And all of a sudden, God then, it says, prepares this dry, hot wind that comes out of the east. And Jonah is the first person it will strike, of course. All of a sudden, instead of realizing that God seemingly has blessed him, all of a sudden, God is communicating to him that, wait a minute, that is not the case. And then it says, Jonah became so miserable, he fainted. There was a time in my life when I got so busy for God, I actually literally burned out. I was so busy doing this and this and this I remember I went to a leaders meeting for a mission in London and the leader of the mission was handing out a suitcase of free books. One of them says, Winning Over Burnout, written by three authors, a medical doctor, a psychiatrist, and a Christian minister. The concept is that a person burns out physically, mentally, or emotionally, and spiritually. I do remember as I flew to, from London to Novosibirsk, I reading the book and finding out I had all 10 of the characteristics of those who would commonly burn out. And then as I went through steps one through eight, I found myself in step seven. And then I went home from Novosibirsk, and the moment it hit me was I walked to the back of our house where we had a storage shed I could reach out my hand and grab the handle, but I no longer had strength to push the handle down. You see, there are moments in life when God hadn't deserted me, but God needed me to allow to just come to the place like Jonah, where all of a sudden he just has no more strength that one then begins to listen more carefully to what God is saying. 
and what our body and our minds and our hearts say to us. But then Jonah goes on and God begins to speak to him. And listen to this. It says, but God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry about the plant? Because Jonah, he'd ask him, what is this all about? And he cries out to God, said, I am so angry. And look at what he says. Yes, I do well. I am, have justification. I am right about being angry. Angry enough to die. No change. And then listen. And the author, the inspiration of the Spirit, puts again the word Yahweh. The personal God says, you have pity or compassion on the plant, which you did not labor, you did not make grow, which you did not do anything to bring into life, but in a night, and then it perished. And if you can have that, you see, he's not condemning. But all of a sudden, he's making Jonah look into his heart. If you can have compassion for a plant, should not I, God, have compassion for 120,000 people? And look at that beautiful verse. Who don't know their left hand from their right hand. <laughs> have you ever had a good friend? I had a friend once who didn't know his left hand from his right hand. And you'd have to turn to him and say, you go and turn right. And he would go and walk five steps, turn left. And instead of just saying, you know, David, it would be better to do the other, I just said, the other right, David. And he then would turn. But here it says, they do not know their left from their right. We've talked about the God coming and this combination of the personal God and the God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, speaking and working in their hearts and lives. And a few weeks ago, we read something similar where that God, it, was, it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And as you read a few more verses, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us and that we would behold in him the glory of God. And at the end of that book, as he's being nailed to the tree, he uses almost the same words he uses in the book of Jonah. Father, forgive them, because they do not know what they're doing. The consistent character and love and compassion of God. I'd just like to close by asking you this question. How long has it been since God has come and begun to ask you personally questions? You know, it's an important question, isn't it? Is what you're doing the right thing? I remember one time as I was First missionary day, actually. First day I'd ever been in Europe while we were in England. Just landed in London. And very tired. Most of the wise people went to catch some sleep. The other man said to us, we got to be disciplined and get out there and pass out Christian booklets. I remember I went out into the streets. I saw a group of men who, in my naivety and my judgmentalism, I said, man, they need Jesus and I started to walk over to them with my little handful of booklets to tell them about Jesus. And then for my great surprise, 
Four of them were there. Three spoke really lovely British accents, and the fourth had an American accent. And he looked at me, and he said, oh, I know who you are. You're one of those do-good Christians, aren't you? He says, you took a look on us over here. I saw you when you came up out of the underground. You looked and you saw us. And you said, there are some people who need Jesus. And you came right over for us, didn't you? And I, well, that's pretty true. And then I, he told me a story. You see, he hadn't been in England that long. He was actually the son of a pastor in a town not far from where I'd grown up. And after a minute, there were so many rules and regulations in his home that he wanted nothing whatsoever to do with religion. And I said, well, I just wanted to give you this book. And he said, oh, I'm not going to take anything here. So he said, well, I may. I'll ask you a question. And if you answer the question, he said, I'll take your booklet. And I said, okay, what's the question? And he said, tell me, what is sin? And you know, that's the first time in my life that I've ever had God's Spirit put something in my mind that I knew I didn't know. I stood there. And all of a sudden, all of the definitions of sin that I'd learned in theology class were gone. And this verse, which I now know is in James chapter 4, verse 17, enlightened my mind. And that verse says, the one who knows to do good and chooses not to do it, for him it is sin. And the man looked at me and he said, you know what? I can accept that. He took my booklet and I walked away with a life lesson. And I want to just bring that into this. I asked you a couple moments ago, how long has it been since God has asked you that type of question? You see, he doesn't ask it to condemn you. He asks it to help us look inside our heart and to identify the whys and whats. You see, the book of Jonah is consciously not finished because it is being finished today in my life and in your life as we answer these questions of God. Let's just pray. Father, thank you again for this time together this morning and we pray in Jesus' name that you would help us as we look at this book of Jonah to understand its meaning and as we even consider these questions that you asked Jonah is what you're doing really right. Lord, may we just take a few moments to reflect with you at all those things that you might be focusing through your spirit upon in our lives. And Lord, we want to bring them to you. And as you open them to us and allow us to see the real purpose and the cause and the whys of why we do what we do, and then we know, Lord, at the end, we cannot compare ourselves with our neighbor or our brother or our friend or someone else we don't like. But ultimately, it's just like Jonah, where God comes and says, but if you can do this, here's why I do this. And the contrast, the comparison is always between our heart 
in your heart. And we pray and ask in the name of Jesus that you transform us and make us in our heart more and more like you. In Jesus' name, amen.